0: and uh, thank you for it. We bless you for it. It is our light for our way and I pray that you would anoint my lips and enable me to clearly articulate the points that uh, 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 you have laid upon my heart. I pray that uh, you would give to us listening ears and that you would work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We love you, Father, and we continue to worship you during this time. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> This is the last sermon in the mini-series on developing strong sales resistance. And as you can see by the sheets that we handed out, if you don't have one, uh, they should have some on the back table. But I finally got around to doing up an outline for you. Uh, But I hope you found this to be a a helpful series. I know I've learned some things from it. And it's been helpful for uh, my family. But I want to just tie up some of the loose ends today. And uh, we've got four more points four bottom points of the outline, one more tactic, and then three weaknesses that many times uh, uh, are exploited by salespeople or the boss who's trying to talk you into working more hours than you probably should be working, or it could be uh, uh, Satan tempting you to sin, or the neighbor who's manipulating you, broad application, but... um, uh, I want to uh, just quickly review. If you look in the left-hand column, you'll see some words that are underlined. That's where I've tried to condense down into one or two words the tactic that was being used. And let me just quickly go over those. Association, very powerful advertising technique, direct appeal, isolation, baiting. Challenging loyalties, negative advertising, exploiting vulnerability, downplaying danger, inflated claims, exploiting ambiguities, winning trust, a pretense at having insider information. Then on the next page, perseverance in wearing you down, exposure to the product, feeding pride, redefining need, exploiting hungers, using the power of visual impact to manipulate. We saw the very very powerful tactic there. Fulfillment appeal, misleadingly simple sound bites, and inverting weakness into a strength, like the credit card company, words, words it that, uh, this is freedom, it uses words like freedom when God calls it financial bondage that you're getting yourself into. Actually, um, Rodney Swab, after last week's service, gave me a great Dilbert example that I should have uh, used. It's Dilbert trying to promote this product. He's up at the podium, and as he's there, somebody hands him a note, says, uh, your product is responsible for the deaths of the thus and best number of people. <laughs> Some of you have seen that one. And he's sweating up there, how in the world am I going to promote this positively? And finally he says, uh, it's come to my attention that uh, uh, the number of dissatisfied customers has been decreasing. (laughs) And I thought, okay, inverting weakness, you know, there's always an angle that you can take, but uh, today we're up to tactic number 23 there on the bottom, and this is the only one I couldn't figure out a way of condensing it down to one or two uh, words, Uh, I thought of deal closure, but really that doesn't do it because every economic transaction you have is a deal closure, okay? This goes beyond that. There's two extra points that we see here. First of all, Eve doesn't know Satan, has not gotten his credentials. As far as she is concerned, he's a stranger and she's making an uninformed decision. That's the first part. Secondly, Satan wants to close this deal before she leaves just on his say-so. Okay, uh, he doesn't say to to Eve for sure, well, think about it for a couple of days, you know, and if you still want the product, you can come back and you can get it. No, he doesn't want her to think about it because if she does, she's not going to get this snake oil that he's uh, trying to uh, pawn off on her. And the reason is it's a bad product. Uh, if you're selling a good product, you don't need to use some of the unethical advertising techniques that uh, that Satan used. And so what he does is he tries to get Eve to uh make the decision before she's had time to evaluate, to think about it, to talk about it with uh to talk about it with her husband, to go to the Better Business Bureau, you know, check with God, what are this guy's credentials, find out who he is. She's not doing any of that. He tries to get closure. Now um, he succeeds. Verse six uh says um, she took of its fruit and ate. Okay, and then she gives to her husband as well. It's a very quick decision. Now, it's true, some some of the best business deals have sometimes been things that have been a quick decision made on the fly, but they have not been with an unknown person, uninformed, an unknown product. Uh, These businessmen have been used to dealing with the 22 principles we've already looked at from this passage, and they can do it so very, very quickly. Satan's trying to do, get her to make a quick decision that's uninformed and uh, that is made uh, with a, a stranger. And as soon as she and Adam eat, they regret it. And uh, I've experienced that. <laughs> you know, you get off the phone and you think, why in the world did I say yes? Why did I get talked into doing such and such? And many times it's too late. You regret it, but it's too late to do anything about that. And you've probably at some point in your life been talked into buying something that uh, later on you regretted and if you haven't you're a minority and you've been blessed by the Lord in that But there are a lot of tactics that are used to get a person to this decision including many of the tactics We've already looked at Uh, it it may not be the same as um, In fact, we don't even know what the tactic was for closure that Satan used. He just got her to uh, buy into the deal but many times it's a person, you know, on the phone. He's called you up. You don't know the person. And he wants to send you his product and, uh, uh, have a, just a trial experience, you know, with it for 30 days. And he asks you, okay, what's your address? And you say, well, I'm not really interested. That's okay. Even if you're not interested, what can it hurt? You know, it's a 30 day free trial. You can send it back. There's no risk whatsoever. And anybody who's experienced this knows that there is an awful lot of, uh, hassle and even expense in returning something. It's not just a a no-risk type of a a situation. Uh, Or somebody will promise, if you buy it right now, we're going to give you all of this. And it's a real sweet deal you know, that they add on. But this is not available uh, from any other source. It's not available later. You need to make this decision right now. Now, it's not just high-pressure salespeople that do this. I think by now, most of the people in Omaha are aware of the uh, what was it, the House of David scam on 72nd and Dodge, uh, where they made it seem like there's some local uh, ministry here in town that's helping young people off the street, and apparently they're they're not even located here, they're off in Florida. But uh, here's a situation where you don't have time to research, you either know about it or you don't, you either throw some money into the bucket that they're passing by your window, or you drive on. And many people thought that they were legitimate just because they were posted there, that the City had approved of it. In fact, I know one pastor who got fooled by it, and uh, he thought it was a local ministry. Okay, yeah, we'll help you, uh, we'll help you out on this. So it can be in any any area of life. Um, every day, all across America, there are people who fan out into neighborhoods, and they will offer a free inspection of your roof and your chimney, or maybe some appliances. And uh, uh, you know, many people they don't want to get up on their roof. Sure, if somebody's going to give me a free inspection, that's great. And they'll always find something wrong. And then they'll say, and, and it, interestingly, they're low pressure. They're not high pressure salespeople. They've got it down to a science how to work it. You know, you, here's what's wrong. You don't need to use us. You can use any other person. that's just a service for you. But if you want it uh, taken care of, we've got a crew just down the street. We can get it done in the hour. And people just for convenience sake will go along with it, many times get ripped off. They don't know the person, total stranger that they trust. Trust at first sight. So what is the antidote on this point? Well, first of all, make it a general policy never to make any commitment with a stranger that you do not know. Unless it's just a, a transaction, then it's not a commitment. You know, he's got his product there, you've got your money. But this is something where you're you're um, making a commitment based on you don't know what the product is, you've not seen it. And there are many scriptures that apply here. Uh, You've probably heard of these police officers, uh, people that dress up like a police officer and then burglarize the place, or um, dress up like a service person, come in and burglarize. Checking the credentials. Uh, let me read you one scripture Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 2. If you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. And so the first antidote is don't make monetary commitments to strangers. Shaking hands means making a deal. It's not just a transaction. You don't need to shake hands. You know, if he's got the goods, you got the money. But it's making some kind of a commitment down the road. Now, Solomon considers this to be so bad that if you've done it and you can get out of it, you need to do everything that you can to get out of it. Uh, if you can't get out of it, there's no money back guarantee or whatever. Well, you just have to take your licks. Your your word has to be as uh, as good as gold. But here's what he says. Uh, If you can get out of it in the next verses deliver yourself Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids deliver yourself Like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And so the first um, Antidote is to make it a general rule to never make deals with strangers that you can't check the background Of these people, you know whether it's on the phone or a person coming up to your doorstep second be suspicious of the person who's trying to force a decision immediately, you know this this deals only for now you 've got to decide no you can 't talk if If you cannot think about it and you cannot evaluate it, be suspicious of that proverbs twenty one five says the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty so he says it 's planning versus hasty decision, and he 's saying. Those who are hasty, everyone leads surely to to poverty. So don't be hasty in the purchase decision. Sleep on it. Third antidote, do some research. Is this person really who he claims to be? Many people will, will believe it just because they've given a handout. You know, they've got some stationery that's got their name on it. And who knows if they've developed that themselves. The Bible says the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him And so the point is if the only information you have is the information that this person has given to you There's no way of checking out if he is legitimate or not uh, Almost every week sometimes it's two or three weeks in between but almost every week this time of year. I get at my office bills well, they look like bills from uh, and there, there are different names that are on there, but uh, Yellow Pages advertising, and it looks like the advertising bill that I'm expecting in the mail from the, you know the Yellow Pages I'm advertising in, and uh, they very cleverly uh, imitate the stationery and everything. They've got those walking fingers, and they can legally do that because those were never registered as a trademark, and so. They've got your name and your address and everything on there just the way it appears in the telephone book. And they have $229 send this in. And if you read a lot of the small print down at the bottom, it says, this is not a bill, it's a solicitation. But there's a lot of people not doing any research. They'll say, okay, it must be my bill. They send off their check and find out later they really haven't paid for their bill. They're getting some, some kind of an advertisement that who knows where it goes. And so Galatians 6, 4, let each one examine his own work. Know what you're doing. Proverbs 18:17 says, Do not judge based on first appearances. Fourth thing, think about the negative fallout before you make your decision. Adam and Eve had huge fallout. They lost everything. And I have friends that have lost absolutely all of their investment because they've had such a sure deal, such a neat investment that they could get into They poured everything into it. And a few, uh, a few weeks or months later, they found out these people have skipped the country with millions of dollars. Uh, we've got to think through, what are the repercussions? In Deuteronomy 28, guarantees God is going to bring fallout into your life if you were a poor steward who is trying to bypass his laws. And the reason he brings fallout is because he doesn't want you to continue to be a poor steward. He's seeking to train you in righteousness. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul says he lists all kinds of these Judgments that God brings on his people and he says these things happen to them as examples They were written for our instruction and so his point is learn from their mistakes Don't make all the mistakes yourself and and learn from your own and so think about the negative fallout ahead of time now there are three additional weaknesses that are only hinted at in this passage, but I'm going to draw them out because I think that they are weaknesses that are many times used to ruin people's stewardship before the Lord And the first one that I've got listed in your outline there is peer pressure Now we're not told a lot in this passage why it was that Adam ate Uh, Verse six says simply in that last sentence. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate But we can put two and two together in the New Testament. It says Eve was deceived Adam was not deceived he deliberately sinned. And there's been a lot of guesses as to why he would deliberately sin. He was not taken in by a lot of the tactics that Eve was taken in. We've looked at already. Uh, this was something he knowingly went into. And there have been guesses as to why that would be the case. Now, I don't, I'm don't, i not going to be dogmatic on this, but it seems to me that peer pressure may have played a part. And it's hinted at in verse 12. The only excuse that Adam can think up as to why he went ahead and he ate If you look at verse 12, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You can't think of any other excuse. She gave it to me. You know, (laughs) I I felt pressured. He's obviously putting the blame uh, on her. And so it seems like peer pressure may have been a factor. And down through church history, there have been numerous, numerous examples of how powerful peer pressure can be in making people do the things that they ought not to be doing. Um, uh, even a godly fearless bold man like peter the apostle peter He succumbed to peer pressure at the trial of jesus christ. I mean How could you have a more important thing you know than denying your lord? But it was peer pressure that, that that pressed him into that several years later Paul says he fell into peer pressure all over again, and I want to read that for you from galatians 1 But when peter had come to antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So here are very strong leaders, Peter and Barnabas, who are taken away from what they know to be right simply because of peer pressure. And if that could happen to Peter and Barnabas, don't think it's not going to happen to you when you get into pressure situations. You need to be prepared for it ahead of time. Uh, there have been uh, many, many sales that have been made because of peer pressure. Uh, there have been many compromises made in Congress and in the Senate because of peer pressure. I mean, it's one thing for us to criticize those people from afar and say, why in the world did they do something ridiculous like that? But when you're actually in that situation, the pressures really are enormous. I feel for them. Uh, There was one um, Christian uh, leader, and uh, the name slips me, but he he wrote a letter, and uh, uh, the experience he went through, he had been invited to a a banquet with President Clinton, and he was going to speak. And he was fully determined when he went there, he was going to, Speak the truth of God into that situation. And when he actually got into the banquet and he was talking with the various people, nice people that he was with, but committed to a totally different philosophy, he said it was enormous the pressure that he felt to just shut up and not say a a thing. I mean, he was startled by what a difference being in that context made in his life. And uh, we we cannot uh, underestimate the power of... um, uh, of a peer pre- pressure. He didn't want to displease those nice people Adam probably didn't want to displease Eve and I think we need to pray for our Christian Congressmen their senators that they would stand firm by God's Word and uh, it's, it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, by the way. That's one of the reasons why uh, sessions sometimes make the wrong decision presbyteries general assemblies sometimes they just make the totally there's a hard decision that needs to be made where perhaps people need to be disciplined or whatever. They make the wrong decision. And many times the reason is they don't want to hurt people's feelings. It's, the, it's that peer pressure that comes upon them. So let's take a look at what the antidotes are. There's three quick antidotes. First, they're not quick to learn, though. They're quick to say. They're not quick to learn. The first one is the fear of, uh, of God has to replace the fear of man, the fear of God. It's an upward focus that we have the fear of god uh let me read you what paul said in the midst of his discussion of all of those people that have been succumbing to peer pressure he says do i seek to please men for if i still pleased men i would not be a bondservant of christ now, those are tough words he's saying if i'm still succumbing to that peer pressure if i'm doing things just to please men I can no longer be a servant of Christ. We have only one master, and if our focus is on pleasing men, there's going to be situations we're going to find ourselves in where we're going to be displeasing in our stewardship to God. But if we can learn to fear God and we can learn the principle that we are ultimately accountable to God and responsible to Him, then we can be strengthened by the fear of the Lord to be able to make a decision that is going to displease you know the um, fellow congressman or displease the the wife or displease the salesperson that's trying to sell you something you're going to have the strength to be able to to, to, to resist be, be able to be like Athanasius you guys know the story of Athanasius right he was an early church father uh, who stood up for the doctrine of the Trinity when the Arians came in the Arians were basically like the JWs they were denying that Jesus was God they were denying the Trinity And he stood strong, but the emperor at one point was siding with the Arians and there were a lot of people succumbing to peer pressure and Athanasius for a while seemed like he was standing alone. And one of his friends came up to him, Athanasius, the whole world's against you. And he says, well then, Athanasius is against the world. And that's where the phrase contra mundum comes from, Athanasius contra mundum. If you don't have the fear of God, you're never going to be able to be in that kind of a position. Or you could be the person standing in the dike The fear of the Lord's the only uh, It's not the only it's the key thing I think that replaces the fear of man. The second one is love and By the way, I think Sometime in the near future. I would love to do a an extended series on the fear of God That is such a neglected topic in the Church of Jesus Christ uh, You know the joy and the closeness and the intimacy has to be balanced with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God defines a Christian as one who trembles, you know, at his name. And so that's a, a, a series that I'd love to talk through. But the second antidote is love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He says, when you love your family, you're going to do what is in the best interests of your family, even if it's going to be an unpopular decision that you are making. See, basically, the fear of uh, 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 peer pressure is the fear of man, and love is one of the antidotes to the fear of man. It casts it out. The third antidote is accountability, spending time with people who are Governed by the scriptures, people who are more mature than yourself rather than simply spending it with your peers. I think one of the big problems in the Christian community is they, uh, everything has to be peer dependent. Even for the adults, you're just with your peers. And the scripture says, no, you need to mix things up. If you have your children all the time with their peers and not with those who are older, they're going to be governed more by peer pressure than they are. But the same is true of adults. You need to be spending time with people who are more mature than you, and you say, well, I don't have as much fun with them." tough, you know, spend time with those that you have fun with. But you need to also spend time with those that um, uh, can draw you along into a closer relationship with the Lord. Scripture says bad company corrupts good habits. First Corinthians 15, 33, Proverbs 20, verse 19, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Proverbs 24:21. do not associate with those given to change. Proverbs 22:24. make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man, do not go. Those are the kinds of people who are going to influence you in a bad direction through peer pressure. And he says, don't make friends with them. Don't associate with them. You need to be spending more time with those who are mature, who can pull you along in your Christian walk. When you find yourself laughing at uh, dirty jokes and you're grieved over that, you can go to a a Christian brother and say, I want you to hold me accountable on this. Next week, ask me if I've been you know, falling into this this arena. I want to be a good testimony. It just grieves me that I am doing this. And sometimes just that amount of accountability is all it takes to keep you on the straight and narrow because it gives you a different perspective. And uh, for sure, evaluate very carefully who your children associate with when they're unsupervised. I think there's many good arguments for homeschooling. I'm not opposed to Christian schooling, but let me tell you something. When I went to Christian school, I found it far harder to stand for Christ than when I was in a public school, and the reason was the boarding school out in Africa was so small you were either in the group or you were out of the group, and so the peer pressure was enormous there. At least in bigger schools, there are several groups you can be a part of, so several good arguments for homeschooling, but I think one is bad company corrupts good habits. So anyway, think through the whole thing of peer dependency and peer uh, peer pressure. The 25th issue is gullibility. Eve admits to this in verse 13. She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The New Testament says she was right. She was deceived. And you might think, well, I don't need this point. I'm not gullible. But I, I, I think everyone is gullible in areas where they have not studied. They do not know. That. See, Eve was not... Defective in any way. She was a perfect creature. She was in no way defective the reason that uh, She was in some way gullible is simply that she did not have any experience and did not have any knowledge And if you don't have knowledge in a given slice of area and experience in that area You're going to be gullible too if you don't get uh, Get information from uh, a, a, a wide variety so first of all if this is the true of you, you need to go to the one who has all wisdom. That's the admonition in James. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's James one five? Now, this may be a simple thing of um, wisdom as to what... To decide with your children you know your children have been using some of these sales tactics that they've learned in this series and they've done a great sales job on you you know say dad can't we possibly do this and you're thinking oh man do i do it don't i do it lord give me wisdom and he says ask in faith he'll give you wisdom for the nitty-gritty issues that you face uh, if you're doubting he says your wave tossed like a wave of the sea you're not going to get it but go first to god second don't be hurried into with decision third get advice before you buy Proverbs 11:14 Where there is no counsel the people fall but in the multitude of counselors there is safety Now why is there safety in a multitude of counselors and you're almost set up to fall if there aren't a multitude of counselors Well it's simple it's because we're finite creatures and we cannot possibly have exhaustive knowledge in every area of life Okay and so if we're faced with some area that we're not ha, don't have expertise in then we need to ask people who have done research in that particular area. It's one of the reasons every time the elections come up, uh, I I go to these people in Bellevue who have asked extensive questions and have done a lot of research because I don't have the time to do that. And if we are too proud to ask people for advice and to ask them for help, he says, you're going to fall. It's just as simple as that. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, the last weakness that I want to look at is the tendency for fallen humans to not admit that they were wrong. And, of course, by this time, um, verses 12 through 13, we're dealing with fallen uh, humans. What do they do? Verse 7, they try to cover their sin with fig leaves. They try to run. They try to hide. Verses 12 through 13, we see Adam blaming Eve. We see Eve blaming um, Satan. And so there's this tendency to avoid blame and to avoid admitting that you have made uh, a, a, a mistake. And uh, it can manifest itself in many different ways. It doesn't have to be the way Adam and Eve did it. Some people refuse to admit that they were at fault by getting really angry at the salesperson and chewing him out and reaming him out. And you're thinking, well, you're the idiot that made the purchase. I mean, you made the decision they need to take responsibility and many times they can't they just put it off on other people some people learn from their experience and they go on uh, other people they feel bad by what's happening but they can't admit that they have made a mistake in fact uh, ken cope um, sent me a, a fascinating essay it's a critique of multi-level marketing organizations i was part of a, actually two or three multi-level marketing organizations in the past this is a fascinating critique that goes through just in terms. it's a totally different approach just in terms of biblical economics or free market economics it shows how it's set up for failure but actually I'm going down a rabbit trail I shouldn't do that point that came to my mind there was in this essay he points out that many in many of these organizations they're structured in a way that you can't it makes it so hard to admit to failure and salesmen high-pressure salesmen will bank on this being present in a certain statistical number of, uh, of people, there's going to be some people. Yeah, they're going to make the returns, but they're counting on some people just not admitting that they've made a mistake, and they're going to keep the product that they've been ripped off. Uh, they've been ripped off on. And uh, b- basically, the root of it is pride. I've dealt a lot with pride. I'm not going to say a lot here. It just needs to be crucified. Now, in closing, I just want you to notice God does not allow their pride to get in the way of their redemption. He reverses the disaster with the following steps. First of all, he pursues them. He reaches out to them even though they're running and they are hiding from him. That is grace. Okay? God doesn't wait for them to make the first step. He runs after them. And you know, as Dominion Covenant Church begins to reach out with mercy ministries into the lives of people whose lives are messed up, our tendency is going to be, well, I'm not going to help them until they show themselves worthy. Adam and Eve were not worthy. We need to be willing to reach out and to pursue people in love when they're hiding because they're just too ashamed to open up. They're too ashamed to admit. Look at verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, I think that's the most natural reaction of fallen man, but look at God and what he does in verse nine. Then the Lord God called to Adam said to him. Where are you? That's grace reaching out second God is not satisfied. He doesn't just say okay We're gonna minister to all these people hand out money galore. No, he holds them accountable God is not satisfied with their surface answer verse 10 Here's Adam's answer. He said I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself now there are a lot of people that have their hang-ups about God and 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 Church and hang-ups with other people and you know, they're they're quick to blame God for not caring and blame the church for having hypocrites and being uh, Judgmental and whatnot. Everybody else is at fault. That's a surface Answer and what God does is he says no the bottom issue It doesn't matter how many sins people have done against you you sinned in the way you responded and he brings the law to bear in their lives and he seeks to bring conviction with that law. And I think we need to follow God's method. You find this method all throughout the scriptures, but look at verse, verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Had you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? He says the bottom line is that you sinned. You sinned. He brings the law to bear in their lives. J. Gresham Machen once said, a new and more powerful proclamation of that law is perhaps the most pressing need of the hour. Men would have little difficulty with the gospel if they had only learned the lesson of the law. So it always is. A low view of law always brings legalism in religion. A high view of law makes a man a seeker after grace. Pray God that the high view may once again prevail. And uh, I, I think we just need to learn to start calling these Poor economic decisions the bad stewardship that we have sin you know don't label it a mistake it's sin and we need to repent of it we need to say the Lord Lord I need your grace I need your help so that I can be a steward as you've called me to be and then comes God's sovereign curse and his sovereign gospel side by side everything in life was cursed in verses 14 through 19 but let me just end with verse 15 the gospel I will put enmity between you and the woman now, that's a remarkable statement because at this point, she was not at enmity with Satan. She was in covenant with Satan. She was a friend of Satan. She was in Satan's family. Now, she might not have admitted to it, just like the Pharisees wouldn't admit to the truth of Christ's statement when he said, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you will do. But that was the fact of the matter. And if she was to be at enmity with Satan, God had to sovereignly reach in, pull her, pull, pull her out of Satan's kingdom out of his family, regenerate her heart, and make her at enmity. What this is, is it's a proclamation of God's sovereign grace, making a change. And it's a wonderful one. Uh, James 4.4 4 says, you cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God. The two are mutually exclusive. And so that's what God's doing. He's making her an enemy of Satan, a friend of God. Now that continues in family lines. He says, not only that he puts enmity between you and the woman, but between your seed and her seed. Ultimately, Jesus is the seed of the woman, but it's a corporate singular that's used here. In other words, it's all of the people who are united to Christ as well, and that is through family lines. And then he says, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Though Satan severely wounded Christ on the cross, Christ stomped on Satan's head and, uh, and uh, reversed everything that Satan did. He's beginning that process of reversal, even through the gospel now. Uh, by the way, if you want a great hymn that, that uh, looks at that, it's Joy to the World, um, you know, where he says, No more let sin and sorrows reign, nor thorns infest the ground. Uh, anyway, he talks about his grace going far as the curse is found. As far as the curse went, and it covers everything, that's how far God's grace is going to manifest itself until finally there's a new heavens and a new earth. And what I want to admonish you guys to do is to submit to Christ's claims in every area. That's his law coming. But apply his grace to everything you do, including your stewardship. Many people say, economics, what does that have to do with the gospel? Well, it does. God's grace has to be lived out in every area of our lives. He claims every square inch of territory in the Great Commission. And so I admonish you to seek to be better stewards by studying, applying, reapplying the principles we've been looking at over the past five sermons. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practical admonition that it gives to us. And uh, even though sometimes uh, portions of your word are hard to understand, I just pray that you would give to us eyes of understanding that come from your Holy Spirit, illumina and enable us to have the wisdom to apply your scripture in our day-by-day walk. I pray that you would bless this, your people, and that uh, their hearts would be encouraged, uh, that your grace lifts up and sustains and accomplishes what we in our own selves could not do. I pray that you would protect us from Phariseeism, protect us from seeking to be stewards in our own strength, help us to to take Paul's admonition uh, seriously. That, uh, that he was crucified with Christ. And it's no longer he who lives, but you who live through him. May we be able to make that testimony. And I pray, Father, for your blessing, your rich blessing, to rest upon this, your people. In Christ's name, amen.